1: Good evening, Rifters! This is Rifts and Rules, the 5 e D&D podcast where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules to enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Remy, Dungeon Master and a player on the Riftwake podcast. I'm Mitch, a player on Riftwake and a D&D enthusiast. And today's topic is the Deck of Many Things! <laughs> oh boy, this is going to be a fun one. This is honestly one of the more controversial, hotly debated items that exists forever through the history of D&D. So, that being said, Mitch, what do you know about the Deck of Many Things? Uh, it's a double-edged sword. (laughs) Can you tell me why? Uh, you might end up getting a castle, or you might end up getting (laughs) killed. Yeah. That's honestly a pretty good summary. So, what the deck of many things is, it's basically a tarot deck where you your character is able to draw a number of cards that have a number of really, really powerful effects, potentially. So, this is a legendary item, but... Honestly, like when I said that this is a contested one, I really do mean that fact. Like, friendships have been lost over this item. Games have fallen apart over this item. There are many forums and debates and arguments about whether you should use the deck of many things at all, whether it's something that you should explicitly exclude from your campaign. So with all that in mind, let's go through what it actually can do because holy shit there's a lot so first things first something that a lot of people probably don't know about the deck is that it's like old in terms of just the history of DD. like the deck of many things is older than the original dungeon master's guide like, it came out in the Greyhawks supplement before the Dungeon Master's Guide in 1975. So the Deck of Many Things has been around for a while, which is part of why a lot of people do debate like, to include it in a D&D game, because it does have the weight of history of the game behind it. But in 5th edition, another detail that a lot of people don't know is that the version in the Dungeon Master's Guide for 5e actually has two separate versions so the full version has 22 cards that might be pulled from while there is also an option to have a smaller 13 card deck so i'm going to purposely kind of just go through the entirety of this item because this is one of those cases where i really shouldn't paraphrase because it has a lot of very specific effects. Deck of Many Things, Wondrous Item, Legendary. Usually found in a box or pouch, this deck contains a number of cards made of ivory or vellum. Most, 75% of these decks have only 13 cards, but the rest have 22. Before you draw a card, you must declare how many cards you intend to draw and then draw them randomly. You can use an altered deck of playing cards to simulate the deck. Any cards drawn in excess of this number have no effect. Otherwise, as soon as you draw a card from the deck, its magic takes effect. You must draw each card no more than one hour after the previous draw. If you fail to draw the chosen number, the remaining number of cards fly from the deck on their own and take effect all at once. Once a card is drawn, it fades from existence. Unless the card is the fool or the jester, the card reappears in the deck, making it possible to draw the same card twice. So yeah, it is literally drawing cards from a magical deck and just having potential effects occur. And the fact that once you do make a choice of how many you're going to draw, the deck enforces that choice by forcing them to either fly from the deck Or just, you have to draw it yourself within an hour of the previous card. So, that also is kind of interesting, because that does also mean, then, that you can maybe have a short rest, but depending on exactly how strictly your DM interprets that, they may not even allow that short rest between, because it does say no more than an hour, and a short rest usually is an hour, which will imply that you don't have that time by a second. But, Again, that would be honestly a rather dickish DM move to be that strict about it. But again, we can talk a little bit more about that side of things later, maybe. See, I thought you had to draw them all at once. No, because again, the fact that it is one at a time means that when they go back to the deck, you might have repeats, which again, for some of these that I'm about to go into, is part of what makes this so damn dangerous. Because you don't just have chances of bad things you have a chance of multiple bad things (laughs) all right so let's go on through Hmm. that's unfortunate so in D D beyond they do have asterisks that mention uh which cards are in the short deck and which cards are in the full deck but it's not sorted out separately which does just irk my sensibilities a bit, so I can't just read off the short deck and the long deck versions. So for that, it's honestly more trouble than it's worth because I'm just going to focus mainly on the full deck because that's more fun in my opinion. (laughs) All right, so first card is balance. Your mind suffers a wrenching alteration causing your alignment to change lawful becomes chaotic good becomes evil and vice versa if you are true neutral or unaligned this card has no effect on you okay i'll be honest this particular card is not my forte i am not a fan of the alignment system in general and having a card that forces an alignment change on a character is definitely not to my personal taste. However, there certainly are, you know, dungeon masters and players where that is much more of a focus in the game. So in such situations, that can be an interesting role play situation. That can be an interesting problem that a party might have to deal with. But again, just that one in particular does irk me. Next up, Comet. If you single-handedly defeat the next hostile monster or group of monsters you encounter, you gain experience points enough to gain one level. Otherwise, this card has no effect. Okay, that's actually kind of cool. It is a pretty nice bump of power to just be able to gain a level up, but at the same time, it's not particularly overpowered like some of the ones we'll talk about as we go down this list. So that's a nice one. And also just, that is definitely something that if a player did get that, like, they'd be pretty thrilled with that, I think. Dungeon. And I'm not just saying dungeon weird, it is D-O-N-J-O-N. You disappear and become entombed in a state of suspended animation in an extra-dimensional sphere. Everything you are wearing and carrying stays behind in the space you occupied when you disappeared. You remain imprisoned until you are found and removed from the sphere. You can't be located by any divination magic, but a wish spell can reveal the location of your prison. You draw no more cards. And now we can immediately see one of the reasons that there is fear and anger directed at the deck. No saving throw, level power, does not matter. You simply are gone. Your character is just gone in an extra-dimensional sphere that is just somewhere in the multiverse. And it requires wish just to find them. Not even save them, but just to find them requires a wish? Yeah. That's dangerous as shit. Uriel, The car's Medusa-like visage curses you. You take a negative 2 penalty on saving throws while cursed in this way. Only a god, or the Magic of the Fates card, can end this curse. Oof. Okay, not as bad as the previous, but still real bad. Because again, unless you get that particular other card in the deck, or get cured by a god... Like, not even a ninth level spell slot heal of some kind can help, but flat out, gods only, or else you take a negative 2 penalty to all saving throws? Which, come to think of it, would also include death saving throws? That's pretty goddamn dangerous. It's not a massive mechanical detriment, but yeah, I can see how that would be troublesome. Speaking of, the fates. Reality's fabric unravels and spins anew, allowing you to avoid or erase one event as if it never happened. You can use the card's magic as soon as you draw the card, or at any other time before you die. Holy shit. Okay, the Fates is really goddamn powerful, but also really versatile, because it doesn't Specify that it has to be an event that happens to you. It's just something that happened. So this is something that a DM could do all kinds of crazy shit with. But also just layers can have massive, massive influence on the world. So this could be the kind of thing like, okay. Like the world is currently in civil war after the king has been assassinated. So now someone manages to use a deck of many things to just the king survived the assassination and then do you just have back to the future style time travel effect where it just rewrites the world around you just based on just the complete change of history caused by this card just that is crazy to contemplate just the massive amount of effect that card can have but like, that is that might actually be one of my favorites, just because it is so open-ended and powerful, but at the same time, that could also be horrifically dangerous. Because just as someone good might be able to, you know, undo a bad event, someone else with that might do some not-so great things. Like, oh, like let's say you're living in a world where like a demon lord was successfully, you know, slain centuries and centuries ago but there are still members of their cult still active, and the cult manages to pull this card to undo the death of a demon lord. That'd be fucking bad. But yeah, just there is no limit to the amount of shit you could get up to with the fates card, and that's fun. Next up, flames. A powerful devil becomes your enemy. The devil seeks your ruin and plagues your life, savoring your suffering before attempting to slay you. This enmity lasts until either you or the devil dies. Well, shit. Um, I don't think I need to say too much about why having a devil enemy is particularly bad, but let me also just point out that even though this is a legendary item, it is possible for circumstances to have this fall into the hands of a lower-level party. So this is the kind of thing that could potentially lead to a TPK pretty easily, because it does specify a powerful devil. Like, thankfully, it doesn't say archdevil specifically, but the fact that it is that open-ended, so as a DM, you could just choose a devil to be the enemy, you could just roll if you have a list of devils to choose from, but yeah, that's fucking dangerous. Oh boy the fool. You lose 10,000 XP. Discard this card and draw from the deck again, counting both draws as one of your declared draws. If losing that much XP would cause you to lose a level, you instead lose an amount that leaves you with just enough XP to keep your level. Okay, this one's actually kind of interesting because it sounds worse than it is at first. So. Losing 10,000 XP, not great, but at the same time, even if you are like a low level character where theoretically that would just wipe you out to zero, it does stop if it would cause you to lose a level. So, even if you are just like a fifth level character, uh, ha- so you become fifth level with 6,500 and the next level up is around 14,000 if i recall for level 6. So even if you did have a level 5 character that drew the fool, you'd still just stay level 5. So you'd still stay at 6500 experience. Yeah, that's so, not too bad. Yeah, so that that is bad. But it really could be worse cuz like an asshole dm could make the argument if it didn't have that last sentence that like if you do just go like to negative experience, do you die Do you? Do, do you just like you are mentally made? Like, yeah, what would happen to someone who gets to negative experience? But thankfully it does have that line, so it does not have that terrible an effect. All right. Now we actually have a good one gem 25 pieces of jewelry worth 2000 gold each or 50 gems worth a thousand each, appear at your feet. So, 50,000 gold worth of jewelry or gems. That is a rather considerable amount of money. Holy shit. Like, I've been in many a D&D game that never managed to get to that level of wealth. Even in Riftwake, we did not ever get to the point of having 50k. Which is probably for the best. But... One thing that just my asshole side can't help but notice, though, it does not say where that comes from, whether it is conjured, whether it is summoned from somewhere in the world. So a DM could choose to interpret that either way that they choose to for good or ill. Um, I would say that, as we talked about way back in Wish, just a DM shouldn't just be an asshole to be an asshole. But if that is the kind of game you're playing where it would work more in that vein, then yeah, you do you. Idiot. Permanently reduce your intelligence by 1d4 plus 1 to a minimum score of 1. You can draw one additional card beyond your declared draws. So that sucks. Relatively simple mechanically, but... You know, for a Barbarian, probably not as big a deal. If you are a Wizard or Artificer, that really fucking sucks. Jester, you gain 10,000 XP, or you can draw two additional cards beyond your declared draws. So this one is pretty interesting, because again, 10,000 XP does sound like a lot, but in 5th edition that really becomes pretty minimal pretty quickly so for example like do you remember how much experience it takes to level up like at mid levels not a clue okay <laughs> so just to take level 7 as an example so you become level 7 with 23000 xp and then level 8 is requires 34,000. So if you somehow got a deck of many things in your hands and got this card at level seven, that you'd go from twenty three to 33,000 XP. So you still wouldn't even level up once if you do draw this card. And once you do go, just continue going up into higher levels, yeah, like 10,000 is not enough to level up once you go beyond six level. Like, level six to seven is the last time that it requires less than 10,000 XP to level. So sure, 10,000 is nothing to scoff at, and it's a nice thing, but it's not enough to level up. What's your fast level seven? That's not a whole lot. On the other hand, if you did somehow get access to it at low levels, that's fucking fantastic. Like, let's say a commoner managed to draw this and you chose to interpret that like their gain experience does give them access to class levels. Then all of a sudden they would go from a commoner to a fifth level character. Which again, depending on the type of world that you're in, is nothing to scoff at. Because I mean, a fifth level character, that could be a fighter with, multi, with extra attack. That could be a magic user with, you know, the fifth level scaled up cantrips, third level spells, which would include fireball. That's pretty nifty. Uh, what is kind of amusing to me that particular card gets featured in like crossovers and fan fiction a lot. <laughs> Could you tell me why? No. So exactly the thing that I was just describing about interpreting it as granting class levels. So I I have read a number of fan fictions in the past where like somehow a deck of many things exists elsewhere in the multiverse but that if the jester card is drawn that that is a way to grant dnd class levels in a world that does not normally use the dnd magic system so for example like if just i Remy somehow just had a deck of many things appear and was willing to accept the risks and draw that if i did pull that jester card just that i just I, Remy the human on Earth, would then suddenly be a fifth level warlock. So it's kind of neat to think of the story prompts available for using the Jester card, whether that is in-game or just through other mediums. Like It is just an interesting one to think about. All right, anyway, moon on. Key. A rare or rarer magic weapon with which you are proficient appears in your hand. The GM chooses the weapon. So again, it does not say where this thing comes from. Do you just get a we- like a weapon that happens to be very well suited to the character, but someone elsewhere in the world is very much missing that weapon? Or is it literally just created by the power of the deck to suit your character? Like your character almost certainly won't know, but that is something that a DM could put thought into. It doesn't say if it's cursed or not either. It also doesn't say if it's cursed or not. <laughs> So yeah, so you could just have something like the berserker axe or something much much worse. Knight. You gain the service of a 4th level fighter who appears in a space you choose within 30 feet of you. The fighter is of the same race as you and serves you loyally until death, believing the fates have drawn him or her to you. You control this character. So this is one that just I personally like thinking of on an existential level. Like I've been talking a lot through these cards about just interpreting where these things are appearing from. And this is probably my favorite one, and the first thing that just started me thinking along those lines when I read through all of these. Because again, this fighter appears, but from where? Is this someone who just got summoned from elsewhere in the world, and then again, just believe the fates have drawn them to you, so that part good? Or is it just that this person was just created to serve you, Like, honestly, as a DM, I kind of would prefer the latter and then just kind of play up the occasional existential dread of just knowing that this is a full person that just was created by magic to serve the character. Like, even though they do believe that that is literally their reason for existence and they are loyal until death, like, that is something that just could make for an interesting story, in my opinion. Moon you are granted the ability to cast the Wish spell 1d3 times. (laughs) Wish is a very hotly debated spell in its own right. There's a reason we have an entire episode on that spell already. It is unlimited in what it is able to do. And anything (laughs) unlimited has a lot of potential for use and abuse. So the ability to cast it 1d3 times, especially for a potential lower-level party or just individuals who normally wouldn't have access to a wish, that is nuts, potentially in a good way, though.
0: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices,
1: rogue. A non-player character of the GM's choice becomes hostile towards you. The identity of your new enemy isn't known until the NPC or someone else reveals it. Nothing less than a wish spell or divine intervention can end the NPC's hostility towards you. Well, shit. That sucks. So, what is also kind of neat about this is that It is the GM's choice about who the non-player character is that this happens to. However, there is actually a sidebar that does bring up a question of enmity. Two of the cards in the deck of many things can earn a character the enmity of another being. With the flames card, the enemy is over. The character should experience the devil's malevolent efforts on multiplication. Seeking out the fiend shouldn't be a simple task, and the adventurer should clash with the devil's allies and followers a few times before being able to confront the devil itself. In the case of the rogue card, the enmity is secret and should come from someone thought to be a friend or an ally. As dungeon master, you should wait for a dramatically appropriate moment to reveal this enmity, leaving the adventurer guessing who is likely to become a betrayer. So I actually do disagree somewhat with how they describe the rogue rogue card here so it specifically says should come from someone thought to be a friend or ally i think that that's rather limiting and the fact that the rogue card's description doesn't say that i'm gonna just choose to interpret that as optional and disregard that for the most part because maybe it is a situation where you know, you might have someone who's neutral to you that becomes an enemy. You might have someone who is a friend that becomes an enemy. Or you might have someone that the players have inconvenienced time and time again that they simply don't know exists, but is just there in the background and therefore, you know, choose to make the enmity take effect from that individual. Like, honestly, it's just to give... Uh, Well, not an obscure example, but just the one that comes to mind for me. The Cabbage Merchant in Avatar The Last Airbender. Like, I don't think that the gang have any idea that that guy exists, but they fucked him over so many times in that show that having him actually become an enemy wouldn't be that out there for me, even though he has seemed to be a very nice, reasonable guy. But... That's the kind of thing that I would lean to when using the rogue card. To just have there be an NPC that just does become their enemy, but not automatically make it someone who is a friend that would betray them. You can choose to do that, but it shouldn't automatically be that. Ruin. All forms of wealth that you carry or own other than magic items are lost to you. Portable property vanishes. Businesses, buildings, and land you own are lost in a way that alters reality the least. Any documentation that proves you should own something lost to this card also disappears. Well, shit, that sucks. So, all your money is gone. So, you know, going what we were talking about last week, if you had a bank account, you lose any documentation that proves that that money is yours. If you do have any wealth on your person, it might. Just vanish. But again, it does say to minimize reality alteration. So maybe you just get pickpocketed or, you know, beat up by thieves but left alive. Like, there's a lot of ways that you could choose to have it take effect. And I do appreciate that, you know, you do at least have that bit of creativity left to it. But again, that sucks. Oh boy. Skull. You summon an avatar of death. A ghostly humanoid skeleton in a tattered black robe and carrying a spectral scythe. It appears in a space of the GM's choice within 10 feet of you and attacks you, warning all others that you must win the battle alone. The avatar fights until you die, or it drops to zero hit points whereupon it disappears. If anyone tries to help you, the helper summons its own avatar of death. A creature slain by an avatar of death can't. Be restored to life so on the bright side they do actually give a stat block for the avatar of death and it has hit points equal to half the max hp of the summoner on the downside it does have 20 ac a 60 foot walk and fly speed and it also deals 2d8 plus 3 damage on its attacks so, it's not a pushover. It does a respectable amount of damage. 20 AC. So, again, if this is that theoretical low level situation, that's bad. But then, if you are killed by it, you flat out, by Fiat, cannot be restored to life. Period. Not except by wish. Just no. Your soul is no longer free to be resurrected. So there is no listed way around that. Fuck. Star. Increase one of your ability scores by two. The score can exceed 20, but can't exceed 24. That's fucking fantastic. There are not a whole lot of ways to get your ability scores above 20. So this is one more of them. So nifty. Now, imagine a Barbarian with 24 strength. I mean, that's a level 20 Barbarian. That actually is one of the other few ways, is that a level 20 Barbarian's, you know, Barbarian capstone is the fact that they get plus 4, to strength and con, which makes them the only class that can naturally go above 20. Hmm. But anything besides Barbarian, well, I mean, Barbarian too, could still benefit from this, because again... That implies that you have enough spare ability score improvements to get to 20 uh con and strength anyway. So this helps. Son, you gain fifty thousand XP and a wondrous item, which the GM determines randomly appears in your hands. Okay. Can a wondrous item be cursed? Anything can be cursed. <laughs> I don't know why I love I love cursed shit. <laughs> no, you really? Ah oh, man. See, fifty thousand on the other hand, that is something. So what level would someone who had zero become with fifty K?
0: Uh
1: six, seven, I don't know. I'm guessing. Nine. <laughs> So that would mean you would instantly put, so that so you know you or the the individual who got that from zero would become ninth level. So shit, that's someone with a proficiency bonus of four, scaled up cantrips for magic users, extra attack, uh, two or more feats depending on the class. That is not something to sneeze at. A level nine character in most D and D worlds is a pretty rare breed. Like most worlds, do not have a lot of adventurers at that level of power. So to instantly be able to become that is quite something. On the other hand, having this applied to an existing character is also nothing to sneeze at. So let's say that you already are an adventurer, and let's just go with, you know, our level seven adventurer. So a level seven adventurer that suddenly gets 50,000 more experience. So let's just say that they are, you know, level seven just for a little while because, uh, yeah. So let's say they start with more than 25,000. So then that would take them up to 75. Well, actually, I guess that doesn't. Oh, right. That's what I was thinking. Level 8? Eh, never mind. I'm math bad, but excuse me, it is 6.45 in the morning. So yeah, level 7 though, go from, you know, 23 to 73, which would make them up to level 10. And again, like I just said a second ago about level 9 individuals, that is not anything to sneeze at. That is a rather considerable amount of power, and then just having 50,000 is valuable any time. I mean, hell, that is enough to take a level 19 character to level 20 by the point, but that counts. So, 50,000 is significant. And the wondrous item, too, which I don't want to, you know, tilt my nose up at because wondrous items are often a lot of fun. The only part I'll say I dislike about that one, though, is the fact that the GM determines it randomly. It shouldn't say that in the text it just it should just be which the gm determines but whatever that's just me being a little nitpicky but fifth edition is not well known with being with great phrasing all the time would you say it's a wonderful thing it can be i'm not gonna dignify that with the thing you want (laughs) Talents. Every magic item you wear or carry disintegrates. Artifacts in your possession aren't destroyed, but do vanish. Alright? Obviously, that really, really fucking sucks. I mean, magic items generally in most d and worlds aren't even something that can be purchased, so all of your hard-won magic items to simply be gone? Well yeah that's another one that really really sucks throne you gain proficiency in the persuasion skill and you double your proficiency bonus on checks made with that skill in addition you gain rightful ownership of a small keep somewhere in the world however the keep is currently in the hands of monsters which you must clear out before you can claim the keep as yours. Okay. This actually has two really fucking good things as part of it. First things first, just getting expertise in the persuasion skill. That's awesome. That is something that normally, you know, only bards, rogues or individuals who take that feat are able to gain. And the fact that again, yeah, expertise is rare, so that is just a powerful benefit for a character to gain access to. But the arguably more interesting part is the fact that you gain rightful ownership of a keep. So, that's pretty awesome. So, a keep is usually interpreted as, you know, a very small castle with a wall surrounding it that you do have that enclosed area as part of it. Basically, if you just look at the spell Uh, Mighty Fortress, you can kind of use that as the template of what you gain access to with this spell. So just a nice small stone building, but the fact that it is occupied by monsters is something that you would have to clear out, and how easy or hard that ought to be is, of course, up to the Dungeon Master. So the fact that it is, you gain the legal ownership, but you still have to claim it, I actually really, really like that one. That is really flexible in how a DM can choose to do that. It could be that, that the keep is just close to wherever they are, and it's just something that they have to go and take back control of, or it could be something that is on the other side of the world and could just become a new direction just for the party to take too, just try to take back control of this place not to mention you know ownership of a keep is something that has political repercussions in some interpretations and some possibilities of how a dm might choose to implement such things so does that mean that the legal ownership does convey some kind of political benefit to the person who drew the car does that mean they might actually become like a landed noble in the place where this keep is there are a lot of campaign and story opportunities just that this one card does create access to not to mention again the you know less nice interpretation of okay you gained the rightful ownership but who had that rightful ownership before is that something that you might use as a dm to cause complications for your party vizier At any time you choose within one year of drawing this card, you can ask a question in meditation and mentally receive a truthful answer to that question. Besides information, the answer helps you solving a puzzle or other dilemma. In other words, the knowledge comes with wisdom on how to apply it. So this is another just very, very open-ended one. So anytime within a year you're able to just call on and receive a truthful answer? That is massively open-ended and potentially useful. So this could be something along the lines of, okay, uh, let's see. Where is the Lich's phylactery? Who is the person who killed the king? Where is the magic item that is... You know unowned and best suited for my character it is totally open what kinds of information you might gain access to and again you receive a truthful answer to the question so that it doesn't even have to be just knowledge that just is known by anyone still living so you could just use this to find answers to things you know long dead like you could even use this for a little bit, like for world building, if you really wanted to, just like, you know, or just a kind of karma check. What afterlife will, am I set to go to if I were to die? Like, a total truthful answer to any one question is interesting to me. And there are any number of ways that players and DM could potentially have fun with that one. And now we finally come to the last one, The Void. This black card spells disaster. Your soul is drawn from your body and contained in an object in a place of the GM's choice. One or more powerful beings guard the place. While your soul is trapped in this way, your body is incapacitated. A Wish spell can't restore your soul. But the spell reveals the location of the object that holds it. You draw no more cards. So, this is another one. No saving throw, you are simply gone. And depending on how powerful the party is, that character may be lost forever. So, there are a lot of potential benefits, but a lot. Of potential dangers to the many cards in the deck of many things all that being said i am curious mitch do you think that the deck of many things should be used in dnd games yes why because it's awesome <laughs> what about the possibility of it completely derailing a campaign you don't have to draw it Except that you would. Oh, of course I would. <laughs> actually, I'm curious. How many cards would you draw? All of them. <laughs> well, again, though it gets shuffled, though. I don't so... know. Six. All right. Jesus Christ. Uh there's a part of me that. Uh, do you have any dice handy? Uh, or I... actually, uh, just a random number generator online. Pulling up. I want. Yeah, I want you to just. Right now, do six uh like one D twenty two or just a random number generated between one and twenty-two. Generate two. Sun. Wait, why is this in a weird order? Oh, whatever. Sun. Oh, buh, buh, buh. why can I not see? Ah. Ah! Increase one of your ability scores by two. Constitution. I thought that was star. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. I'm wrong. Yeah, you're right. I was looking at the wrong S. Fuck, I am tired. Holy shit! 50,000 XP and a fortress item! <laughs> Congratulations on level 9. Nice. We'll let Josh know. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. That's not your character. That's for Mitch. Mitch is now a ninth level character. Uh, yeesh. What would you funnel the XP into? Just what class would you pick for yourself? Billionaire. D class. <laughs> uh I don't know. I mean I really like warlocks, but I don't know if I'd want my actual soul to be sent to eternal damnation or whatever. So mm-hmm. well, I mean there is Celestial. Yeah, I don't trust those guys either. <laughs> Probably Barbarian or Fighter, because then at least I'd be in shape. Yeah. Uh, On the other hand, you know, you could go Bard if you want to have access to healing without, you know, a patron of some kind. That's a good point, too. I do like Bards a lot. Mm -hmm. All right. Anyway, number two, go. He said six, so we're doing six. I got a number eight. Eight. Heat. A rare or rarer magic weapon with which you're proficient appears in your hands. And you're getting all the gear, too. Fuck. I'm going to be a god by the time this is done. 16. Uh Uh-oh. You disappear and become entombed in a state of suspended animation in an extra-dimensional sphere. Everything you're wearing or carrying stays behind in the space you occupied when you disappeared. You remain imprisoned until you're found and removed Can't be located by Divination Magic, but a wish reveals your location. Draw no more cards. Bye, Mitch! All right, I'm going to sleep. (laughs) And we immediately just proved the potential danger of the deck of many things. Your first two draws were fantastic, but that third one did you in. Yeah, but at least when I get out, I'm level nine. If you get out... How are you going to get out? None of us have magic to find you. It'll happen eventually. Will it? H- for- 40,000 years in the future, it'll just happen. Okay, yeah. Someone will stumble across just, me. Yeah, when whatever takes over for humans just uh, comes able to understand the vagaries of dimensions. Uh, all right, and... That honestly is a great demonstration of the deck. Greed is dangerous when it comes to this item. You might have a really good streak. You might even end up just kind of winning in the end. You might have nothing bad happen to you, but it only takes one bad draw to just end you with no chance of getting saved. Just no saving throw your party may not have any ability to help you, so that character is just gone. That being said, there are powerful potential benefits to it. So it is, as always, up to the dungeon master to decide whether you want to incorporate the Deck of Many Things into your world. But I do seriously recommend, thought and caution, about whether you do decide. Whether you do decide, whatever you do decide. I words good. <laughs> Hi everybody. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash riftwake To your start as low as a dollar, and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind-the-scenes content, early access to episodes, access to a monthly hangout where you'll be able to chat with the cast and even input on Riffs and Rules topics. Find us on social media, on Twitter, at Rift Wake Podcast on Facebook as Riffwake, and you can send us an email, riffsandrules at gmail.com. That's riffsandrules at
0: gmail.com. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies